by his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Thank you. Very good. Um, so, what we're going to talk about today, a couple of things, the main themes of this, these scriptures, is first, um, we're going to talk about um, submission to authorities. <clears throat> and then we're going to talk about, because this is what, how Peter lays this out. You remember in the, the, the previous part of the chapter, he's laying out <clears throat> for us, you know, Peter continues to develop the text from the first part of chapter 2. Chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 13, provide an overall discussion of how we should act um, as we are to be a royal priesthood, those living stones building up the church of Christ Jesus. Now, Peter's going to start discussing specific aspects, aspects individuals, groups, and he's going to go forward as, in his, as we go forward into Peter, First uh, Peter, uh, categories of people and how we respond to our Christian walk as Christ is our lead in today's world. The first aspect of our Christian walk, um, the, and again, if you remember from last time, that's the persevering of the saints. That's what we're doing right now. We're persevering is submission to authorities. That's one thing that we are required to do. So let's talk about it. Let's see what uh, Peter, first Peter, you know, what he's talking about here. So um, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. They're on the paper, but I'm going to ask them anyway. And just... I want to get some kind of discussion going on that, but why why are we to submit to authorities? What do you think? Why do we have authorities? But why do we why are we required to submit to them? So there's a sense of order. Sense of order. God is, a God of order. is our God a God of chaos or is he a God of order? He's God of order, absolutely. So, um, and then, what authorities are, are do we submit to? That's another good question. And we're going to answer that, but keep those two questions in your mind as we, you know, you start to listen and we start going through um, the scriptures here. Um, in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. In this example, and again, Paul, or excuse me, well, Paul does it too. But anyway, but Peter, he's going to talk about what we're supposed to do, but then he comes back at the end of the chapter, which we're going to talk in turn, that Christ is the example that we're to follow, as in everything. We saw that last week, and we see it through the Scriptures. Christ is our head. Christ is, he gives us the example that we are supposed to live our lives. Now, we fail miserably at that, but that's still the standard that we are to follow. And, of course, we cannot have, we will not meet that standard until, as I said last time, until we stand before our Maker and we're fully consummated in Christ before God, or Christ comes back uh, before then, before we die. So, the, uh, uh, but we are to strive that. Doesn't, we don't throw our hands up in the air. We don't act like, oh, I can't do this. It, it is a standard, and we are to strive towards it. So, he is our example for how we are to be submissive to authorities. Christ was obedient and submitted to God's will in two ways. Now, this is not necessarily part of this, but I wanted to go over this because I think it's important. Um, but Christ had an active obedience and a passive obedience. Um, his active obedience, and, and, and the Lewis Burkhoff, Systematic Theology, page 379, discusses this in much more great deal, more detail than we have time for. But he says... Um, there's two types of obedience to He states, it was part of Christ's act of obedience that he subjected himself voluntarily to sufferings and death. 
That was the penalty of the law. His passive obedience, um, and, and Burkhoff goes on to say, Christ's passive obedience was that he lived in subject to, subjection to the law. Christ's active and passive obedience should be regarded as a complementary part of an organic whole. His active obedience was necessary to make his passive obedience accepted to God. And the scripture backs that up, will be Galatians 4, 4, and 5. Christ's passive obedience is him paying the penalty of sin by his suffering and death, thus discharging the debt of all his people. So that's very critical. That's very critical. If that never happened, then we would be lost, we would be unable to become a royal priesthood, we would be unable to become these stones that are building up the church. And so, Christ working in these two ways, in his obedience, he was faithful to the law without sin, and he was put under every temptation that every man and woman have ever been put under, and he did not fail. And then he, he submitted himself to the torture and excruciating pain and agony of dying on a cross on our behalf, um, and that's important to understand that piece of it, because when we talk about Christ as our example, this is going to tie in how we react to the magistrates and who and why we submit to these authorities. So therefore, we should voluntarily submit and give obedience to those in authority, as long as they don't require disobedience to God's law. Now let's come back to the question, who do we? And if there's a law out there that is disobedient to what it says in the Bible, God's law, because this, from front to back, all the books of the Bible is God's law. If there is a civil magistrate that puts a law out there that is, uh, goes against God's word, we do not have to um, obey them. We don't have to follow their lead in that matter. So that's very important. Um, okay, so um, as long as they do not require disobedience to God's word. And so Matthew 22, 21, Acts 4, 19, and then 5, 29 um, will help you with that. Um, that's actually, um, let's go to Matthew. Somebody go to Matthew 22, 21. Please. Anybody? Yeah, read it, please. Matthew twenty-two, twenty-one. Hopefully, I wrote these down right. I've been known not to do this. They said Caesar's, then he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Exactly. That's right after I have Christ's mouth. Someone read Acts 4.19, please. Whoever gets here first wins. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. If you got it, it's fine. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. That's right. And that's, and that's when Peter and John became, before, they were brought before the Sanhedrin, and they were told, you know, you need to stop talking about this Christ guy. Don't be talking about him. He said, we cannot do that. God has said to spread the word of the gospel, and we will do that. Do with us what you might, but we must first um, follow the lead of God. So, we too, in our lives today, 
even now here in the 20, new 2023, if there are laws that require us to disobey God's law, we do not follow them. We are not required to follow them. We need to stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ to whatever end. To whatever end. And you can take it to that end where you want. But it could be, it could be death. It could happen. It could come back again. There are martyrs around this world that have given their lives up on a daily basis because they confess that Jesus Christ is Lord above all other magistrates. Um, okay, so I, I do want to add any questions on because I went through that fairly kind of quickly, but is there any questions or anything on Christ's passive and active obedience? Is that pretty, was that pretty easy to get, understand, or whatever? Just want to make sure. Because that's our example. <laughs> and it's going to get tied in towards the end here. All right, so when we do submit to the commands, uh, or when we do submit to the authorities, the magistrates, um, this commends Christ to others. Well, how would that commend Christ to others? What do you think? If we are doing and following the law, the lawful laws of the magistrates over us, and we're submitting to their authority, how does that commend other people to Christ? We're setting the example. Exactly. Men men and women can say all kinds of things, but their actions speak louder than their words. And as for you young people that are back here, your actions, you can say all the things that you want to do, but what you actually do is going to mean volumes over what you say. So actions, and that's throughout the Bible, we know believers by what? They're good fruits. Yes. By what they do, we can see that they are Christians, that they are following and doing the good works that God would have us do. So our example, our walk, what we're doing in our lives on a daily basis, whether we're at the grocery store, we're at school, we're at work, wherever it is, people are watching us. If you don't know it, they are. Even you young people in the back there, you're being watched. Younger people are watching you. You're young, you're not, you're young yourself, but younger people than you are watching you. And they will follow your example. As is me and anybody else that's older. People are going to look at you and say, well, what are they doing? Okay? And it does speak volumes. So, um, it does commend Christ to others without saying a word to them. Without saying a word. When we, I comes to my mind the martyrs. They were going to be burned at the stake. I mean, a terrible death. And they sung hymns. Walking up to the stake, being tied to the stake, while the fire was burning the flesh from their bodies, they were singing hymns until they couldn't do it. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. What are your actions? What are you doing? Uh, People are watching. Um, Okay, Uh, it keeps reproach from Christ's name. Colossians, let me go to Colossians 3.23. Please, read that if you would. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Again, um, Christ is our leader. If we call ourselves Christians, this has nothing to do with non-believers. If we call ourselves believers, if we're believers in Christ, followers of Christ, 
and we are out there not following laws, we're doing unlawful acts and unlawful deeds, regardless of what our stature is, whatever it is, that defiles his name. This is being actively disobedient to the magistrates with lawful laws. You know, if, if, if we're out there doing these things, whatever it is, and somebody sees you that knows you are a Christian, and you do these things knowingly, um, it does defile the name of Christ. So we need to be, we need to care about that. We need to know. Um, and then finally, it is a service to others. How do you think uh, being submissive to the magistrates is a service to others? Just look at the newspapers in this town. What's going on on a regular basis, which I wish it didn't happen, all the crime and all the other things that are affecting families? We keep the law. We follow the magistrates' laws in order and keep order and peace because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to seek the peace and purity of the church. Not only in the church, we should be seeking peace. What does the Bible say? Be at peace with your neighbor the best you can. When we're at peace with our neighbors, when we're living a peaceful life, we're not out rabble-rousing. We're not out causing trouble. That brings, that's a service. Even to the non-believers. Even to non-believers. And that's what we're supposed to do. And a lot of times, that will open up the door to witnessing. Who knows? You know, that's in God's hands. But we should be looking for those opportunities. But if we're not living a peaceful life, we're not following the magistrates, we're, not going, to, we're going to be doing a disservice. Okay? That's the antithesis of that. We'll be in a disservice to others, whoever they may be. So we need to think about that. We need to have, think how we act and what we do. All right, authorities are designed and empowered by God. Would you agree with that statement? You should, because that's what it says in the Bible. But it all came from God. <laughs> I have a trick question. I'm sorry. But anyway, why? Why, are, why did God place authorities and, uh, over us? And why was it designed by God? We already answered it. God is a God of order. He is not a God of chaos. So he's going to have people out there who run herd over us, for lack of better terminology. When Paul was planting his churches in Acts, what did he do? He planted the church, he established it, and he left what? Leaders. Leaders, elders. elders. He left elders in each one of those churches to see, oversee that church. Now this is in an ecclesiastical thing here, looking at the church, but it's in the same way God has made magistrates over the people for order, for control. So, why are they here? Well, first one is to punish those who do evil. So there's, there's not anarchy, so there's not chaos. So our magistrates are supposed to be punishing those who do evil. To restrain evil? Question. To restrain and punish evil. Well, it's to punish those who do evil. If you go to the catechism, we'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, it is for those who do evil. That's, that's the language. Um, we are to punish those who do evil. Restrain may be a part of the punishment. I don't have any issue with that. But we are to punish them. When someone does evil or does and breaks the law, they are to be punished. Whatever that law says. And then before the evil is committed, the fact that there are authorities empowered to punish and well, we're not talking about what happened beforehand. We're talking about why the magistrates are there. Again, you're a good point. There's all kinds of people out there to try to help and prevent things from happening, if I understand your line of discussion. And that's fine, and that's good. 
But we're talking about the real reason the magistrates are here, the biblical reason from, from 2,000 years ago and beyond is to punish those who do evil. The second thing is, is to praise those who do good. To praise those who do good. So if somebody does good, then they should be acknowledged for that. God sent them and placed them. We need to understand that. The magistrates over us, God sent them to be there. Now, we don't have to agree with them. We don't have to like them. You cannot like their policies and things of that nature. But he did send them. And you're going to see here the antithesis of this. It's not like the leaders get to come in here and just do whatever they want to do and be the, you know, the Hitlers of the world and all that kind of thing. They are supposed to be representing God, and we're going to talk about that piece in a minute here. So it is important. It is, but it is the will of God, because this is his will to have his people have rulers over them for to keep order, for lack of other terminology. Now, um, doing good, you should put to silence the ignorant, ignorance of foolish people. Okay? We do that when we, when, we, when we submit to the authorities, when we submit to the magistrates, we live our lives in a peaceful way. That is the example that's to be set. And ignorant, the ignorance of foolish people, foolish people being those who are out there not living by the law, they're breaking the law, they're not doing the things that they ought to, we set an example for them and show that what they're doing is foolish. And they may not know, they may be ignorant. And so we need to teach them, or we need to witness to them. And even when we do that, they still may be, remain in the ignorance and foolish people. But um, it's important that we do good. That is our, that is our requirement. <clears throat> then it says, live as people who are free. And we need to be careful here. There's a lot of points here under this. This is getting to what was called uh, Christian liberty. All right? Because we are free. Um, we're free from the law, but we live, and we do live under Christian liberty, but we, we're going to hit these points here because it's very important to understand what that is or what it is not, and what Peter's talking about when he talks about freedom. We can't use our freedom to cover up evil, and those scriptures are right there. I'm not going to, we don't have necessarily enough time to go through all that, but the point of the matter is you can't use your freedom. You can't use your Christian freedom. You can't sit and say, I'm following the magistrates. And then I'm over here doing whatever. It comes to my mind, it might not be a good example, but having a still out in the woods, you know, making illegal liquor and then running that um, and getting bad money and all the kind of, or drugs or something like that, but then go to church on Sunday and say, I'm a Christian. You can't do that. You cannot. Um, don't use your freedom. Don't use your Christian freedom to cover up evil. Matthew, you know, Matthew Henry's commentary on this scripture um, states this matter about Christian liberty. The spiritual nature of Christian liberty, Peter tells the Christians that they are free from what? Not from the duty or obedience of God's law, which requires subjectation, subjection excuse me, uh, to the civil magistrate. They were free spiritually, but must still remember that they were servants of God. All servants of Christ are free men. The servants of Christ ought to be very careful not to abuse their Christian liberty. So Matthew Henry is bringing this point out probably a lot clearer than I am. It's, it's critical that we, that we do have freedoms as Christians, and if we live at peace, no one really is going to fetter what you do or you don't do. So what he's saying is don't take advantage of that and come off crosses. I'm living this, but I'm going to do this 
over here that's illegal or evil or something along those lines. <clears throat> Live as servants to God. Romans 6. Let me go to Romans 6.22, please. And read that when you get there. Six twenty-two, Romans six twenty-two. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. Exactly. So what Christ we talked about earlier, that's why I brought it up earlier. What Christ has done for us on the cross has set us free. We are live Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us, our sin has been imputed to Christ. And it is over. It is finished. So thanks be to God for that. But, so we need to live like that has happened. We need to believe that Christ died on the cross for us 2,000 years ago and cleansed us of our sins. And we should live a life according. That ties back to what we were talking about last week as a royal priesthood. We really need to think about that. And if we're not doing that, if we're not trying to think along those lines, it's a mindset. When that mindset turns into action. And so we need to do that. So we need to live as servants of God. It says honor everyone. What do you think it means by honoring everyone? And I might have given it away earlier on something I said earlier about how we should live. But well, showing no partiality for one thing. No, no partiality? Okay, what else? Recognizing that everyone is made in the image of God and is an eternal Okay, I will go with that. Aisha, anybody else? Somebody else besides Joan? Come on, man. All right, I'll say, when I was bringing my daughters up, we used to tell them, put other people first. And we should put other people first. Why do I say that? Why did I teach that concept? Because we should try to put other people first. We should serve other people, even at a young age. You can serve younger people. You can let them go to the swing first. You can let them have climb the bars first. There's all kinds of things that, 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 that talks about. And as an adult, we should look at everybody as equal. There's too many divisive things in this world that want to, just because of the skin color. You know, we're different. No, we're not different. We are all made in the, in the image of God. We are all the same. We are all equal. And we're all under the same Christ. There's not a different Christ for anybody else. So we should. We should honor everyone. Okay? Like I said earlier, be at peace with your neighbor as best you can. The Bible tells us that. Love the brotherhood. That's talking specifically to our church. This is our brothers and sisters in Christ. All of us in this room are brothers and sisters in Christ. Not by blood, but by Christ. By Christ's blood. We're going to spend eternity with one another. You have to believe that. We're going to worship God for eternity, all of us together. And there are going to be some of our family members that are not. Because they walked away. They didn't, you know, they weren't elected by Christ. And that happens, okay? And it's unfortunate. But we need to love the brotherhood. We need to love one another. We need to love one another just like a brother or sister of your blood relatives. The things that you would do for a blood relative in a moment of you know, need. 
We should be treating each other like that and be looking out for one another and watching over one another and helping one another in whatever that looks like. <clears throat> so we need to love the brotherhood. That's what Peter's getting at here. Fear God. I, I don't fear God enough. But I can't say for you, because I don't know. But we really, I don't think, as a whole, fear God as we ought to. Because there's too many times we, we let things slide that probably ought not slide, or we say things that we ought not to say, and we get angry when we shouldn't get angry. Um, there's all kinds of things that we do, and we don't think about it. We say it before we do it. I'm, I'm to blame for that as well. And we need to work on that. We need to pray about that. We need to work on the sin that is our life. We talked about this last time. The indwelling sin, the sin we have, we always have to work at killing it. Through Christ working in our lives, through the Holy Spirit, praying to God, being in the Scriptures, surrounding ourselves with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to work at that. It is a job. It is not a passive thing. Like I said earlier, you know, Christ had a passive and an active obedience. We can't, in, in, in our sin, we have to be active in trying to kill it. it just, you can't just sit there and pray about it and it's going to go away. You have to actively work at not doing it. And you're still going to do it, probably. It happens, because we're imperfect. But again, as I've said earlier, we don't throw our hands up in the air and say, oh, well, I just I can't do it anymore. We still have to keep trying. It's going to be a battle uh, every day of your life, while you're here on this planet, unless Christ comes again. All right, and then honor the emperor, the magistrates. Again, coming back to this whole thing, this whole spurt of the first section here, we have to honor that the emperor... You know, Peter's writing back in the time of, of Caesar, so he was the emperor. They were, you know, you had to honor that. We just read the scripture here before when Christ said, render under Caesar what is Caesar, render unto God what is God. So we are to honor them. Um, and this is the will of God for us to honor our magistrates. All right, so... so Ron, there's a, go ahead. There's a, there's a big, there's a big uh, salami kind of hanging out there with that, right? Salami? Because the okay. church cooperated with Adolf Hitler. The Russian say that again? The church, Catholic Church, cooperated with Adolf Hitler in handing over Jews. The church right now, the Russian Orthodox Church, right. is cooperating with Putin, saying right. the people that go to Ukraine and fight this war will be will go to heaven. Regardless. Boom. That's the bit of salvation. Now, I understand, I think that's bad. Theology, obviously, but when your political leaders are obviously evil, the emperor, what is the Christian duty? To honor them? Good question. It comes right into my next section. Okay. Westminster Confession of Faith is very clear on this. Chapter um, 23, and I, I would tell you, I'm not going to be able to hit all of it that's in here, but I strongly recommend... Go to the larger catechism, excuse me, the confession of faith, I'm sorry. Um, and then, um, hang on, but it's chapter 23, and it goes, it's like, mainly it's in the Westminster Creed. There's a section in the larger catechism. I love this book, by the way, I'm going to leave a plug, another plug for it. You've done, I've done this plug, but this book is beautiful because it lays out the confession of faith here, the larger catechism, and the shorter catechism in each chapter on every, you know, what you would find in the Westminster Confession of Faith. This is an awesome resource, man. Uh, but anyway, to answer your question, and it's going to be a little lengthy because it's section three, um, 
This is all most of this language is coming directly out of the Westminster Confession of Faith. God, the supreme Lord and King of all the world, hath ordained civil magistrates to be under him over the people for his own glory and the public good, and to this end hath armed them with the power of the sword for the defense and encouragement of them that are good and for the punishment of evildoers. And again, that's backed up by Romans, and I have those there. Um, one thing, and I'm going to get to your point, but i just kind of do it in sequence. Um, as it goes down through and talks in the Westminster Confession, it is off. You know, some people wonder, hey, is it okay for a Christian to hold office? The answer to that is, is yes, it is okay for a Christian to hold office. Um, the magistrate, now here's the real key, and this is what answers your, I think, your question. Um, the magistrate may not assume to himself the administration of the word and the sacraments or the power of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So that magistrate cannot take on, and again, this is not, this is taken, the Westminster Divines took this from Scripture, okay, so they, they studied this, and so God's Word is what, as they understand it, that's what should be. So the point of that matter is, in that sense, of, in this sense that we're talking, first of all, they cannot, the magistrates cannot take on the duties of the church. They are ordained elders to minister the Word. When we talk about the kingdom, and the keys of the kingdom. Do you all know what I'm talking about when I say the keys of the kingdom of heaven? What that is? God gave the keys when, when the apostles were here on the earth. Christ gave the keys to the kingdom. In other words, and it says in the Bible, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So, the elders, who are elders, us, we can track our lineage back to the first elders in Acts, who all the church, through the church of history of time and space, all these elders and everything that has come forward to this very point in time have learned the same things, have understood the same things. The keys of the kingdom belong to the elders. That's why we have the ability to have discipline over the church if someone goes astray or does something wrong or praise those who do praise. Why is that important? Because if we, if there's a spiritual situation or something of that nature, and we don't deal with it, or we don't, you know, make it right, or work through it, or whatever, we're unleashing things that are going to be unleashed in heaven. I truly believe that. Um, and that's what these kings, these keys, is, is, is a visual thing. Christ gave those to the elders. The elders have those. And that is on earth. So, that's why magistrates cannot have it. The magistrates cannot be the, the givers of the word, the preachers of the word, uh, and those kinds of things. Um, as it said right there, and an administration of the word. It's just not that's, not, not, that's not what God intended. It's not what they're supposed to be do. Um, they are to preserve unity and peace, and, should, and that should be pursued. So our magistrates should be seeking peace. Um, again, if they're not... It goes back, Keith, your other answer, the short end of your answer really is those laws and the things that they're doing, they're unlawful. So no, we do not need to follow them. You don't need to follow. Um, you know, we go back to the time when the Pope was actually a, a very prominent individual in what was going on in different countries around the world. And that's why the Reformation started, quite frankly, because it was wrong. It was not scriptural. It was not biblical the things that were going on. So they were not 
Luther and Calvin and all the rest of them, Knox and everybody. No, we don't follow the Pope. The Pope is not God, as he professes even today to be. And so that leads to all kinds of heresies and different things like that. But the point of the matter is, if they're doing illegal, if they're doing against God's word, remember, that's that foundational thing. If they're not following what God's laws are, then we do not have to follow. We do not have to agree with them or follow them, or, and they should be called out. Um, uh, let's see here. Okay, God should be kept pure uh, and entire. This is something that the magistrates should be trying to do, making sure that, as, as they can, that God is kept pure and entire. In other words, not just a, he, they're providing for an, an environment where God can be looked at in his entirety and worship according uh, to the scriptures. Ron, Go ahead. The magistrates, are you talking about all civil authorities or are you talking about all civil authorities. authorities? All civil authorities from, you know, if we hadn't, you know, if there was a, a, a somebody in charge of the whole world all the way down to the mayor of Fayetteville, North Carolina. He is a magistrate. These are the leaders that are over us. What for? To do all the things that we are talking about now, but they're to give laws, they're to take laws, they're to have uh, rule over us. They're supposed to have laws. And keep, they have a police force. They do all the things that they do for a safe and secure and peaceable environment. That's what they're supposed to be doing. And quite frankly, they're supposed to be following this as their example, which obviously they don't. And they're not. So that's why this, the, this, the, the litmus test is, if it's against the laws of God, if it's against what he has said in his scriptures, we do not need to follow those laws. We do not have to submit to those authorities. Period. Does that make sense? Did I get, was I on it or not? Good. You look confused, John. I mean, I don't want you to... I will continually be confused, but don't let that stop you. <laughs> no, I mean, maybe I'm confused. No, oh, you're, no. Not, you're not. Did, that, did I get? Did I get to Please where? Proceed. Yes. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, you may be getting to this, but the other part of that is that if we, for the right reasons, <coughs> not to obey, we have to be ready to pay whatever price. We pay. <coughs> and, yes, sir. And like you say, it, there are lots of different levels. I mean, in the last year, we've seen a lot of things like the soldiers, for religious reasons, did not want to get the vaccine. Right. And some of them paid the price for it. That's right. And it doesn't come without a price. Right. Well, our, our, our Christian liberties, and this kind of ties into it, but when we, when there's a magistrate that is not doing what he's supposed to do, all right, let's look, let's look at the grand scale. The Jews in World War II, millions were destroyed. Millions, because they disagreed, and the, and the powers that be didn't like them. All right, we should learn from that. In today's world, there are when you stand up for what is right. Look at the martyrs throughout the church history. They were standing for what was right, and what happened to them? Look at Paul. Look at Christ, because that's what we're going to come back to. Look at Christ. What he did. He stood up against the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the powers at be, and they crucified him on the cross. And he was without sin, and he never did anything wrong. He was perfect in every way, and they murdered him on a cross. That's what doing right is going to do. And we need, as Christians, we need to understand that's important. We need to live our lives accordingly. 
I don't know that you know, there's going to be persecution in this country. I don't know what tomorrow holds. But it could happen. And what are we prepared to do? Like I said last week, what are we prepared to do? Are we going to fold up our tent and go hide somewhere? Are we going to stand up and maybe be martyred? But for Christ, I think that's valuable. I think that's worth it. That's just me. I can't make anybody else in this room think that way. But we ought to be at least considering it. Your example about the Jews in World War II Another good example of, of the Christians and others who absolutely to try to hide the yeah. Jews. You know, uh, you know Annie Franks in, in disobedience to yeah. the authorities, uh, including lying sometimes yep. to protect them. Yeah, uh, and someone got away with it. Some of them. You know, That's exactly right. I mean, died as a result. I mean, to do the right thing. Yes, sir. And not only that, lacking. Really show Christ's love because I know there was a Protestant town in France who, during World War II, they finally arrested a, a pastor because he was hiding Jews. Yeah. And then the next day, the pastor's wife, who hadn't been arrested yet, she invited those arresting officers over to her house for dinner. And people were like, "Why would you do such a thing to that?" They arrested her husband because he said, "Like that's what Jesus would." Yeah. And just think what a beautiful way to show the gospel to someone. No, absolutely. I mean, Corey Timber, there goes on and on and on and on and on. There's all kinds of people that have been, have met their fate by standing up for the right thing and doing the right thing in, 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 in Christ's name. Um, so, pressing on. Um, again, our magistrates are supposed to preserve unity and peace, and, and that should be pursued. Uh, God should be kept pure and entire. Blasphemies and heresies should be suppressed. Um, it is the duty of the people to pray for the magistrates, to honor their persons, to pay them tribute or other dues. That's taxes, by the way, if anybody want to know what that is. Um, but that's, you know, we pay taxes. Um, and, and to obey their lawful commands, again, lawful being key here, and be subject to their authority for, their con- for conscience' sake. Um, Paul gives us an example of lawful dis- disobedience or non-submission. If we, you know, um, someone go to Galatians two and read verses one through five, please. And after fourteen years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of Revelation. And set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we do not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Okay, now this is dealing with the church, okay? Not necessarily outside magistrates, but the magistrates within the church. They wanted Paul and them to become circumcised. Again, we're in Christ. We don't need to be circumcised. Christ has done it for us. We don't need, there's no, no works. There's nothing that we do as individuals that we bring to the table to make us better or make us worthy to be in Christ. Christ did it all on the cross. He did it all. So now we have, he's come to Jerusalem, and now we have some of the Jews who are there. They say, no, you know, for us to accept you, we want you to be circumcised. And Paul said, no, we're not doing that. And of course, he goes on, talks about how they talk through that, 
and they didn't become circumcised. And so it's important that, you know, we, we, we can oppose the church, we can oppose magistrates, we do it in the right fashion, the right way. Um, any questions on that section? We'll get into this next thing when we talk about Peter starts to get into the individual groups and individuals. First thing we're going to talk about is servants. Everybody good? Okay. Now this subject can be a little bit touchy, but um, we need to set the parameters here. Back in the day when they talked about servants, uh, they were slaves. They had sold themselves, and they were taken to slaves, and they were slaves. Now, Peter begins <coughs> to break down individual groups that explain how they are to respond to God's word written in these verses. Servants generally were slaves in these times. It's how things were done. It was part of the economy. It's how it was done. You know, nobody thought anything different of it. Matter of fact, people would sell themselves into slavery so that they could pay debts. Once they worked off that debt, then they were free. So it was just a, a way of life, okay? Um, and so we all agree, I think all of us would agree, uh, that this does not have a proper place in the world today, even though it still goes on. There is plenty of slavery going on in Africa, in the third world countries. There's Christians that are enslaved by Muslims. Not to get anybody inflamed in that, but it's going on. There, there are people being enslaved by other people because they have more guns than the other people do. It's going on. We have human trafficking that's going on across the United States. That is a form of slavery. It is uncontrolled. And it's going on. It's going on in this city. There's people in this town that have been arrested for human trafficking. And I'm talking from the littlest ones to the oldest ones. And it is a bad, bad thing. So, there's nobody here that's going to disagree that ought not to still be going on. So, let's talk about this. Um, what, was, what does Peter mean by servants? What was going on? Well, the servants were treated as property. Okay, they were property. They were bought and sold. Servants are to be subject to their masters, both good and bad. He, he talks about this. What is a servant's job supposed to be? This is a person that is of lowly stature. And what is he telling them through the scriptures? They are supposed to still honor the person over them who is their master, whether they're a good master or a bad master. Now, if I was in that situation, that'd be pretty hard to swallow, I'll just tell you that. Um, but we're supposed to do that. It goes back to what you said, Pete, or Pete. I'm thinking of Peter, but, um, you know, um, Rick, uh, Keith. <laughs> Too many words going on there, I'm sorry. But anyway. <sighs> Heaven help me. Um, but anyway, that's, you know, even though somebody may be not passing laws that we like, we're still supposed to pray for them, we're supposed to respect them and things of that nature, but we don't have to follow the laws in the end. Um, but anyway, they were supposed to, you know, they were supposed to respect them. Um, these servants were, again, this is, there's an antithesis to this, so the other side, what the masters were supposed to do, these servants were to be treated with respect by their masters. And we don't have time to go into those scriptures, but you can go there and look at that. Okay, so spiritually, and here this goes back to what Jones said earlier, spiritually, these, these servants are equals with all. In the eyes of God, we are all equal. We are all made in His image. So what goes for us goes for anybody else. Whatever stature they are, I think that's important. I think sometimes we can get a little puffed up and, you know, we see somebody come in here in biker clothes and, oh, I don't know if I want to talk to him or not, you know. But no, regardless of what somebody's wearing, whatever, they could maybe not have had a bath a week ago. It doesn't matter. We are all equals in the eyes of God. And we need to, we need to think about that. You know, I might have more than this person does, but if I can help them, I should help them. 
You know, if I see they're in need and I can help them, I should do that. If I don't, that's not right. Especially if it's your brother or your sister. And guess what? We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that familiar thing, that where we think family, that blood is thicker than water, we need to get that attitude in here. We need to get loving for one another. We need to look after one another. We need to seek out and find out if everybody's doing all right. Hey, someone's already showed up to church. Has anybody called them? And I'm, I'm bad for that. So I'm not pointing fingers at any of y'all. I'm included in all of that. So we can do a lot better than that. Um, <clears throat> so uh, let's see here. Okay, servants were encouraged to seek their freedom by lawful means, which there was. They work off their debt back in those days. Um, and I, I was going to go back and get it, and I didn't. I probably should have. In the Old Testament, the year of Jubilee, I think if I'm getting it right, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But in the year of Jubilee, whoever had sold themselves into slavery or sold their land, this really was kind of dealing towards the Israelites, they were to turn it all back, and it was all set free again. And so, you know, we don't have any of that kind of thing right now, but I often wonder, you know, if we had something like that every seven years, you know, you talk about the ceiling debt, you know, which is a big discussion now, and how we owe, people owe us money, and we have money that goes that. You know, what if we every seven years we said, okay, this country, we're going to sell it. You don't owe us anything, we don't owe you anything. And everybody starts from scratch again. I don't know. I don't know what would happen. I don't, I'm not an economist, but, you know, I think we might have lost out on something like that. But anyway, that was a, that was a legal way for them to get out from underneath um, being a slave. Um, let's see here. This is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So we're talking about this part of the, the scriptures. And he talks, you know, when, you're, when you sin, you're beaten. Okay, you endured it. But what credit is this? This is what Peter's bringing up. What credit is that? Do you get any credit for that? That you, you, you did something wrong, you got punished for it. What credit is that for you? It isn't. There's no credit. That's why he shows it. But then he shows the antithesis of that. When you do good and suffer, you endure it, if you endure it. Um, this becomes gracious in the sight of God, and it is for his glory. Why is that? Because, and you've heard me say this numerous times over times when I teach, you know, it's easy for us to, you know, live our lives and be happy when everything's rose puddles and rose, coming up roses and you know, everything's good. But really where our faith grows, where we become closer to God, where we build on our prayer life, when we build on our relationships with others is when hard times are going on, when things are not good. That's God, when God uses us to mold us. And I know I don't like going through hard things any more than anybody else. Um, but I will tell you from my experience, and I can only speak from my experiences, when I go through hard times, been through a few, or in tough spots, um, and we all have. This all it comes in different ways and different methodologies and different items, but they're all hard. They're difficult. They're emotional, and, and we should have all those things. We should have emotions, but it drives us to Christ. It drives us to get on our knees and pray to God. It drives us to open up these scriptures where we might have not been doing it as much as we should, um, and, it drives, and it builds our relationship with God. That's how God molds us. You know, you, you see the analogies in the Bible about... You know, the refinement of gold. When you heat up gold and it is liquid, the impurities flow right to the top. So all they have to do is take a little dipping thing and take those little specks out 
and it becomes pure and more pure, but it takes to do that multiple times. It just doesn't happen the first time. And that's what God's doing. He, he says, all I, all I care is your dross, your tears. Yes? Um, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis that fits into what you're saying. He uh, once wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rally the death. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can't say anything better than that. I mean, and that's when we grow. Um, and anybody that's been through a hard time or a difficult time, I think will, I think they, if you really think about it, that's what happens, you know? Um, historical context, uh, I just threw this in there because R.C. talked about it in my study Bible, but these are the very verses um, that we just discussed helped to abolish slavery in the West. They undermine the institution of slavery. So, you know, thanks be to God, but God's word, again, being active as anything, man, um, it was the foundation which caused the abolish, abolishment of slavery in the West. Okay, so here we are. We've got five minutes. All right, back to Christ. And this is what Peter does. He starts off with, he tells us, hey, this is how we should be living our lives. But he always, he secures it he's with an anchor to Christ. Because he is our lead. So everything we do needs to be anchored to Christ and the gospel and what he has done for us. Because there is nothing, like I said last week, we can all get all the things that we've done in our lives, all the good things, pile them in one big huge pile, and it doesn't mean that much, okay, in our salvation. Only Christ. In Christ alone, through faith who came from God, do we have our salvation in Christ. So Christ is an example and I know there's four pages, but there's only one little sentence on the back, so I think we'll get there. Um, Christ laid the groundwork, the foundation, and example of how we are to live as Christians. Peter explains now how our connection to Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit will forever change our lives. Peter lays out again the logical flow of our calling slash election and how we are to persevere in our Christian walk. Verse 21, for this you have been called. Nobody comes to Christ, nobody comes to become a Christian unless you're called. You're elected, God called you. You're dead in your sins, there's nothing you can do, you are called. That is the bottom line. Christ suffered for us, Christ provided us the example, and we are to follow in his footsteps. And those are giant footsteps to follow. Um, we are to do it though, we are to try, we have to do it. As hard as it is, as difficult as it is at times, that's where we go. That's our, that's our, he's our head. Christ committed no sin. Because he committed no sin, no, and, and this is where he lays out here, there was no deceit found in his mouth. Well, he was hanging in excruciating pain on the cross. He could have called down legion of angels and wiped out the entire Roman Empire if he really wanted to. But he didn't. He remained silent like a lamb we led to the slaughter. He was silent. So what does that say to us? We shouldn't have deceit found in our mouths. Somebody does evil to us, we do not return evil for evil. We should not do that. This refers back to the active and passive obedience to, to God. When Christ was reviled, reviled, excuse me, he did not revile in turn. You know, when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, the, and I think it was Peter, cut the ear off of one of the guards. Christ fixed that. He healed his ear right there. 
No, this is not how this is going to go, Christ said. I'm using, you know, that's not exactly what he said, but that's not how it's um, Again, and I say that here, do not return evil with evil. That is not how things get done. Um, when he suffered, he did not threaten. And I just mentioned that one. He suffered excruciating pain, and he could have called down legions of angels if he wanted to. He could have, but he didn't. Why? He was sacrificed. He was the perfect sacrifice so that we could come and be called sons of God and daughters of God. Christ entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Obviously, Christ entrusted himself to the magistrate over him who's God, God the head. He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. That's what we have because of what Christ did. Our sins were buried with him in the grave and when he rose again, we rose with him. And his righteousness is in us. And we will be fully consummated because we stand before God. There will be no righteousness of our own that God will look upon. He will look upon the righteousness of Christ. And thanks be to God for that. Because we couldn't do it on our own. And by his wounds we've been healed. We were astray. We, were, we had wandered, as that last verse says. We had turned our heels on God. Anybody that was not, you know, has been converted later in life, like me, my walk, I, my heel was turned against God. I had no time for God. I didn't even want to hear about God. And that's as far as we'll go with that. But the point of the matter is, in a fortnight, he changed my heart. He changed what I wanted. He changed my outlook. And the things that I desire, I no longer desire these things. And I only desire to follow him as the best I can. And his wounds did that. His wounds did it for everybody that called themselves a Christian. His people. Not for everybody. Only those who call on his name. So it's not for everybody. Only those who call on Christ. And those who have been elected. He, his wounds and what he did on the cross has healed us. And we can now stand before a holy, wrathful God and stand on Judgment Day. Whether Christ comes back again early or we die and we stand before God at that time, we can stand because of Christ. And he will see Christ and we will become one and we'll come to see Christ as he truly is. And so, um, finally, we have strayed a sheep because, um, but, and I just said, but because of Christ and him alone, we have been returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. So, we should be very thankful for that. Thanks be to God. Because without God, we would all be lost. Without what Christ did, without the Holy Spirit, the triune God, working on our behalf, 2,000 years ago today, not today, excuse me, 2,000 years ago, <laughs> um, we certainly um, would be a sad and lost people. Any final comments before we go to prayer? questions, anything. Alright, let me go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do come before you, Lord. Again, we are a humble people. We um, absolutely need you every day, every second in some cases of every day. Be with us, Father. Um, there's multiple um, you know, people who are suffering for different reasons in the church. I pray, Father, that you would comfort them and draw them closer to yourself. Um, help us to see First uh, Peter as a methodology and a reason why we should do that and why we have hard times, and why we go through hard things. Um, help us, Father, to you know, love our magistrates. Help us to uh, influence them, and help us to bring peace 
as best we can. Father, now help us to transition as we go worship a holy God, you. And we're thankful that we can come together on this day to worship you. Help us to glorify you. Give us, again, eyes to see and ears to hear um, your word. Um, and that we may worship you and glorify you as we ought. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.